Hi, welcome to Creepy Vibes Only, a comedy podcast where Emma and I, I'm Steph, and Emma, Emma, where are you? Emma, Emma. Hi, hi. <laughs> um, so Steph actually came to me uh, about like a month, would you say, before we got started with this? Yes. Uh, after hearing that another friend and I were pitching a potential podcast and decided that, oh, yeah. uh, no, no, decided that, no, 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 <laughs> we were doing this one. So here we are. Full uh, jealousy moment. I was like, you're not doing this with anybody but me. Mm-hmm. So I took over. Yeah. Shout out to Tim, <laughs> <laughs> our other friend. Uh, mm-hmm. So the full mo took over. And uh, so now we're recording a horror podcast, which mm-hmm. is like very fitting because Steph, uh, Steph is my, I'm speaking on your behalf, so obviously say what you want yeah. to say, but Steph is very much the like true believer of the two of yes. us. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to describe myself as a uh, open-minded skeptic mm-hmm. in everything. Uh, so it's, it's a good pairing in terms of perspectives uh, in and outside of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, open-minded. You're, like, more of the, like, rational, logical person in this duo, and I'm, like, full of emotions. Yeah, and I just very... <laughs> <laughs> I just react, and you're like, Steph, calm down. Um, yeah, it's, uh, your feelings are valid, they're just extreme. <laughs> so, to, uh, to kind of give you guys background, um... Steph is someone who is often stalked by ghosts in and out mm-hmm. of her life. And mm-hmm. I'm someone who grew up uh, love, like loving horror movies. Um, my mom and I would watch The X-Files when I was a relatively little kid. Uh, and she would like hide my head under the covers when there were things on that she didn't want me to see. But like, I was never the kid who got scared of horror or anything like that. I actually used to get in trouble <laughs> at daycare because I would tell like other kids like, horror stories and like um you know those like stories you just tell around the campfire yeah like those kind of things like i was like seven on top of like the little clubhouse inside our preschool being like come children let me spin you a yarn (laughs) and like other kids parents would complain about me my parents had to be like um listen you walking rl stein book uh if you could not traumatize your peers that would be that would be helpful so here I am, uh, hopefully not traumatizing people, but uh, you'll try. Eager. <laughs> I mean, just you. <laughs> and for me, I was that child that was traumatized by everything. Um, I watched one horror movie, which I don't remember the name, but I just know that it was like a little leprechaun that attacked people. And I think I saw like 10 minutes of it and it traumatized me ever since. So, spoiler alert, that movie's actually called Leprechaun. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. So, yeah. So, the way Steph and I are going to be formating, formulating, formatting this podcast mm-hmm. uh, is kind of open-ended. So, we're both going to tell a story each week. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really going to be whatever, like, current creepy thing has caught our attention. So it can yes. be anything from like urban legends to ghosts to like horrible things people have done to like historical events. Um, mm-hmm. If it's creepy and it gets under your skin, it's uh, it's here because that's our We're vibe. We're talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Steph, uh, mm-hmm. what's keeping you up at night this week? Well, a lot of things. <laughs> right. Um, Mainly, I have been reminiscing all of these not-fun ghost experiences that I've lived through. So that's been creeping me out at night when I can't sleep and staring in the corner. And I'm pretty sure someone is staying there. But it's really just my eyes playing a trick on me. Also, what doesn't help is I have a little beagle who sleeps with me at night. And sometimes he'll just like stare at the ceiling, but behind me. Great. He's not helping. No. But let me ask you, what is keeping you up at night? Uh, Honestly, it was like settling on topics Mm -hmm. for A, the episode we're recording right now. And then the one for right after, like as we were Mm -hmm. texting about, like, I think I must have flip-flopped like eight 
times. And I would literally <laughs> just like lie on my bed with Lewis. I have a dog too, a giant dog. Um, lying on my feet, just like not able to sleep. Cause like, I don't know if it happens to you too, but I feel like my most like brain processing power happens in those periods where I'm trying to sleep. My brain's like, I mm-hmm. know uh, <laughs> we're not going Overdrive. to sleep by yet. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. that was keeping me up. Well, do you want to start or you want me to start? You start. Okay. All right. So I, like I mentioned earlier, I decided to talk about uh, a story that also happened to me. And it is a haunting, but it didn't just happen to me. It happened to a whole lot of people. So I'm going to talk about the haunting of Fort Henry National Historic Site, which is at the fort in Kingston, Ontario. Have you been? Uh, No. So I've wanted to go for years. Mm -hmm. And uh, shout out to Sam, because like one of my very favorite people and best friends actually lives in Kingston and has lived there for years. I'm jealous. Uh, But I'm just not a good friend. So I still haven't gone and done that with her. But uh, (laughs) shout out to Sam. We'll have to do that with her. Yes. COVID allows us. Oh, yes. So I've been there twice. Uh, I did the tour of the fort one time during the day and then one time uh, at night. And there's like a clear difference in vibe, 100%. Okay, what do you mean? Um, so, like, during the day, it's, like, you go in, it's, like, this amazing, huge fort, and, like, it's off the uh, St. Lawrence River. So, like, it's beautiful. Like, it's super interesting. It's historic. You're just, like, in awe of the space. But then when I went at night, like, you just, like, I went in there, like, immediate, like, headache. Like, it didn't feel good. You just, you're paranoid. It's just, it's weird. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get started with a bit of history for the people that don't know um, Fort Henry. As mentioned, Fort Henry is in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, it is considered as one of the most haunted locations in Canada. Um, interestingly enough, it was never attacked in battle, but it was the site of multiple hangings, deadly accidents. Uh, and there are claims of hauntings that date up to the 1930s. So the fort itself, um, it was, so there's the first fort that was built in the war of 1930, of 1812, sorry. Then that fort was rebuilt between the period of 1832 and 1837. So that structure that you see today is the second fort. Uh, the fortress was built on Point Henry to protect the Kingston Naval Yards as well as the outlet of the St. Lawrence River. Um, so the British Army actually controlled Fort Henry until 1870, sorry, uh, and where Queen Victoria decided to pull her troops from Canada. At that point, the A Battery Gunnery School took up residence of the fort, and then it was followed by the B Battery School that also came over. Um, a battery came into, I would say, like fruition. It was the Kingston battery, and then the B battery was actually the Quebec battery. Okay. Um, yeah. So both uh, batteries took over the fort until 1891. Ooh, one quick thing I forgot to mention: during World War World War One, I'm French people. Words are hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not all words, just certain ones. Yeah, like World War One and Two. Um, the fort was used as a um, a prison for uh, during those two those two wars. Like I mentioned, in 1891, it was kind of just left to complete this repair. And in 1936 and 1938, a restoration project was um, was put together to restore the fort to its former glory. The uh, person in charge of it was Ronald Way. He was a Kingston local. And a really cool thing that he did was that he found the original plans of the fort, of the second built, the second structure, and he made sure that it was rebuilt to its exact architecture. Uh, so the restoration took place from the 1936-1938, and it was open to the public in 1938. Obviously, because of World War II, it was closed again, became another prison, 
and then it was finally reopened in 1948 to the public as a museum and national historic site. So that's the history. Okay. Um, all right. So when I was going through how to build the story and how to talk about the claims, uh, this fort is massive, and I decided to do it by section of the fort just to make it easier for people to kind of picture it. I do uh, recommend if you want to do like a quick Google search uh, to look up like the general area, like the general pictures of the fort that could help, but I will try to describe them as best as possible. So are you ready for the claims? I'm ready, I'm okay. ready. So in general, visitors and employees, they have seen apparitions or had experiences all over the fort the entire fort is extremely active. Um, and a cool thing is about these experiences that a lot of time they happen to multiple people at the same time. Um, a lot of groups that came for, that like went around for tours, they either all witnessed seeing a ghost or they all heard something. So it just gives a bit more weight to the claims. And the apparitions are seen day or night. I like how no... like these like ghosts are like efficient. They're like, listen, I'm not just gonna attack Barbara. I'm gonna freak <laughs> out all of you. <laughs> I'm putting like, in the work. It's gonna be like, you're gonna believe what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I will make sure of it. So Jeez. we are starting uh, one of the most popular, like most seen ghosts. He is named the Wandering Ghost. He is a male apparition that is seen wandering around the exterior and interior of the fort, um, especially in the parade square. Uh, you, yes, I'm sorry, guys. That's a beagle. A lot of fun. Okay, he's done, I think, for now. So the Wandering Ghost, he is seen by, like, absolutely everyone. Like, you could be on the second store of the top like the top of the fort and you can see him walking up and down uh, one side of the square. He's also been seen just joining group tours and he'll like, <laughs> <laughs> he'll chill like, with listen, them. <laughs> need a quick refresher on this place I've been inhabiting for over a hundred years. So he'll just like chill with them and then just disappear. And like, you will have visitors be like, where the fuck did he go? What the? <laughs> so like, he... no, that's just Jerry. <laughs> So he does that. Um, one specific claim by an employee is that they were, he was locking up with four other people and they were at one end of the square and they saw this dude just kind of walk quickly on the other side and disappear. So they all ran around trying to find this guy because they thought he broke in to then realize that they were the only ones there. Um, there's another time where, uh, so there's a bakery in a schoolroom. There's a group that they were listening to this guy talk and they noticed a guy walk in front of a window and then just disappear before walking in front of the door that was immediately right in front, of, like right next to it. So they went outside and started looking around for this guy and he was nowhere to be seen. And one thing with this area is that it's all open. There's not really like somewhere where you could effectively hide no matter what you're going to be found. Mm -hmm. so then we move on to the dry ditch which is this area between so when you walk into the fort you kind of go down this little tunnel you walk into the dry ditch and then you enter the actual parade square and the purpose of the dry ditch it was to basically it was like kind of like a fake entrance where people, like if enemies walked in, like stormed the fort, they would go into that the dry ditch and just be stuck there. And they would have gunners on either side of the walls. So like fish in a barrel. Yes. So that was the whole point of the dry ditch. In that area, people see a lot of um, flashes of lights. Um, it is kind of a small, like it's... There's no, there's tiny little slits to see through the walls, but there's really no reason why there would be just flashes of light. Um, and then people also just start hearing people screaming in the lower fort. Now, a lot of people believe that the ghost that they see in the dry ditch is Gunner John Smith. 
Gunnar Smith, he died in 1838 in an accident. He was loading up one of his guns, well, one of the guns. And as he was doing that, the cartridge exploded. The explosion threw his body over the inner wall. And then his body basically hit the opposite wall, landed in the dry ditch, and he succumbed to his injuries there. So on one occasion, visitors were walking through the dry ditch, the dry ditch, and they noticed a man dressed in a uniform undergarments just sitting there. And then they started hearing screams. As they rushed into the uh, parade square where the tour guide was, they asked them, like, what about this dude who's just kind of sitting there dressed in uniforms? They all went back. They could see the guy still sitting there and he just vanished in front of them. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's bold. (laughs) Uh, So now let's move on to the officer guardhouse. And, like, there's a lot of these rooms. um, So just try to, like, it's, uh, honestly, this place is incredible. Um, In the officer guardhouse, it's on the lower, it's basically on the first floor of the fort. Like, when you enter, it's memory serves me correctly it's right on the left and there's like this little house and it's space at this little house a little window and it's basically just like uh, an office space for the officers a lot of people claim to see they'll be like walking outside and they'll see someone in the window they'll see someone in a uniform in the window Um, one visitor claimed that she entered the room and this uniformed guard was sitting at the desk and in front of her eyes he just vanished um, there's also claims of knocking unexplained, just kind of going around in response to questions. So that is one of like the very active area. People also think that whoever is seen in the guardhouse could also be the wandering ghost. So now we're um, we're moving on to the one of the most active locations in the fort. It's the officers' quarters number three. Basically, to set up that area, it's just a long tunnel with a bunch of rooms lined up. If you do go visit the fort, you'll notice that all of the rooms are behind this like very thick plexiglass, and they're in, in a climate control. The room are climate controlled to preserve all the artifacts, which means that no one gets in the rooms at all. So, to continue, uh, one of the claims is uh, children. They will, as soon as they get in front of that room, they'll just double over in in pain with pain in their stomachs. But the second they cross over to the next room, the pain is completely gone. There's also been reports of children feeling hands pressing down on their chests. Um, Adults also have been feeling, have felt uneasy. um, Just people are just completely feeling off in that area. But the second they cross over to the next set of room, they're fine. There's no issues at all. Inside of the officer's quarters, uh, people have seen, there's a rocking chair in there. They've seen it just unexpectedly rocked. There's no, like, there's no air, like, I want to say, like, air circulation. There's no, there's no AC. There's no draft for the rocking chair to go. Um, so they'll see it rock. And then a lot of people have heard someone knocked on the, on the glass, but from the inside of the room with no one being in there. and then also a few people have actually seen a man in uniform stand in that room now what makes this room creepier and more uh like the most intriguing room of the entire fort is that it is rumored that niels von schultz was held as a prisoner into that room now schultz was a member of the American Rebellion. And in that time, they had heard that the Brits were mistreating the Canadians and that the Canadians wanted out. So they had decided that they were going to storm over and free the Canadians. But they were obviously outnumbered by the Brits and lost a rebellion. So Schultz and his men were brought to Fort Henry to be held uh, as a prisoner until they await their, their court-martial and punishment. An interesting thing about Schultz is that his lawyer was actually future Prime Minister John A. McDonald. Huh. Yeah. 
I found that was really cool. Um, and they had spent in one of his um, memoirs or how you call it, McDonald had um, talked about how they had spent days and days talking and he Schultz, like he really took a liking to Schultz and Schultz was explaining that they were misinformed. They thought that the Canadians were in trouble and they were there to liberate them. And it's really, it wasn't about trying to kick out the Brits, it was about liberating the Canadians. And he decided that he would plead guilty, but he wanted them to spare his man because he said that he was the reason why they were there. He put this whole rebellion together and he is the only person responsible. Now they did hang um, Schultz at the fort, but after that they did hang five of his men's, of his men, sorry. So people claim that Schultz is still at the fort because of the broken promise that they've made to him. And that's why he's still just occupying his last location. Dang. Mm-hmm. So now let's move to our final two rooms, which are the bakery and the, and the school room. So again, these are considered the uttermost haunted locations in the fort. In that area, people have, visitors, employees have, have had doors just shut right in their faces. All right, so on one occasion, the employees were doing a staff night at the fort, a staff event. And as they were walking from the parade square into the bakery, the front door just slammed in their, in their faces. And then all of the other doors down the hall in sequence just bang, 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 shut with force. Everyone just stopped where they were doing. They all went around the fort to try and find who it was because they knew, obviously, it was just a staff thing. Shouldn't have been anybody else in the fort. And again, just like the other experiences, they couldn't find anybody but themselves. And they knew it wasn't one of them who did it. Uh, another time, a baker, he was uh, pulling bread out of the oven and he heard someone enter the, ba the bakery and walk right up to him. As he turned around, no one was there. Another baker, as she had turned her back to, on the wall, there's all of these shells with a bunch of pans. She turned her back to it and all of the pans just flew off the shelves. And then like the creepiest claim that I find is in that hallway um, area of the bakery, the schoolroom. there's claims of this large insect-like shadow that people see just tower into the door and people have seen it crawl on the floor or crawl on the ceiling. Um, and it just comes straight for you. So what do you think it is? I don't know. Like, part of me is, like, as, like, that someone just, like, got scared and invented. Like, I don't know if it's true. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one where, like, it creeps me out too much. And I really don't want it to be true. It's just, like, ghost bug? Or do you think it's, like, not a ghost? Like, I wouldn't, like, I don't think it's a ghost. I don't know. And it just, it doesn't match all of the other claims, right? Like, people are seeing people. Right. This is the first time that you're like, there's that one shadow that was seen, but like it was a human form shadow. Like this is just like this strange, like demonic monster thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't want it to be real. No. <laughs> I mean, like, not that I have entire like faith in the existence of those things. Uh, mm -hmm. But like in my reading of it, the kind of stuff, like, yeah, they say that demonic presences would attach themselves to places with like, mm -hmm bad juju and bad energy yeah right? and like that is like there were deaths and hanging so like it is a, a history rich of like negative events so it would make sense yeah i mean it's also like the seat of like a colonial power which in, is in yeah. and of itself like not a great thing no. base level right <laughs> like no so i don't know what it is but it creeps me out and don't want it to be true so when um, so those are all the claims. And then one fun thing that I said to also do about the story is go over the ghost hunters investigation. So ghost hunters were this back in the day, there's this team who travel all across the States and then also went internationally and did investigations. 
On October 14th in 2009, the team went to Fort Henry. You can see the episode. It's episode 17 in season five. And they had about six investigators. So Grant and Jason, who are the the founders of Ghost Hunters, Steve, Dave, Amy, and Kristen. A really cool thing about this investigation is that every single person had an experience. And a lot of people had similar experience, which is very rare for an investigation. So to start off, um, the two uh, the two girls, Kristen and Amy, they were in front of the officer quarters number three. And they, in the hallway, they kept hearing footsteps and tapping, but they would be at one end of the hall and then the footstep would like be at the other end of the hall. So they would run over and try to capture it. And then again, it was on the other end. So it played around with them, just made them like <laughs> run around. And then I they think decided that to, stuff. yes, we're just going to like ignore that. <laughs> we'll record over it. <laughs> Again, gives ambiance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at one point, they just sat down in front of the room itself. And they kind of just, like, their demeanor changed. And one of Kristen looked at Amy. She's like, I don't want to look behind me. And then, like, a few minutes after, they heard tapping on the glass from behind them. them. Uh, so then they immediately jumped up, looked into the room. Obviously, there's no one there. No one's allowed to be in there. Um, so that was one of the experiences. Uh, Jason and Grant also experienced the knocking in that same area. So it was really cool that they heard someone tap on the window from the inside of the room. And they both tapped. They tapped twice, placed their hand on the window, and felt someone tap back. Um, so that was very creepy. A cool, well, not cool, but an interesting thing, too, is they have a, what is called a K2 meter with them. And that basically is a tool that measures electromagnetic fields. Um, so the idea is that ghosts will use, well, there the, the K2 will spike up if there's a ghost around. So that's the main, the main field, uh, the main idea. It's not used that much anymore since anything can cause an electromagnetic field, like your cell phones, your computers, anything that's electronic, a breaker box will cause that. So it's not as, it's not used anymore, really. But in that time, they've used it and they've noticed that the K2 would always spike up at kid level. So there's a huge chance that what the children were exper experiencing wasn't actually paranormal, but it was more just there's high levels of electromagnetic fields in that area. And once you are exposed to that, you can be sensitive, like you can be sensitive to electromagnetic fields. And that will cause you to be uh, dizzy, you'll be nauseous, you'll be paranoid, you'll feel like you see stuff. It's just, it kind of mimics a haunting in a way. So like, what is it about that field that makes you feel that way? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I tried to Google it and I didn't quite understand. I feel like it's like a pseudoscience. Like it, it is in a way, like no one really knows. But it's like the same thing, like if you live in an area where there's like a lot of like power lines and all of that, chances are you're going to get sick from it. So it's still that like whole like you're the waves from your cell phone. Because that's so your cell you. phone doesn't actually cause cancer. That's a misconception. Yeah. So it's just like it's that kind of like no one really knows why, but like it's not a correlation. It's more like both happens at the same time. Okay. So where they've seen there's high electromagnetic fields, people are people who are sensitive to to them are going to feel all these things. So when they're saying they're being haunted, chances are you're not being haunted. You're just being affected by these fields. Okay. So that's the area. That's the theory behind it. Um, so let's go back to Amy and Kristen. They were in the officer's guardhouse and they again had high readings of the K2 meter and also had knocking in response to some questions, but it didn't last for very long. And now I think that the most interesting experience that they captured was in the bakery in the schoolroom. So basically Jason and Grant were had a, two cameras, one focus on them and one focus on this door leading 
separating the bakery and the schoolroom. And they were talking and then just randomly on camera, you see the door open, slowly, shut, and then open again. So then they run over and at that point it had reclosed and Grant tries to open it and he feels pressure on the inner side like someone is holding the door. Okay. So they're like, okay, this is crazy. Um, they were in front of it, so there wouldn't have been a draft. They would have also felt a breeze come in. So then they reset the door to how it was against the wall. And they all just look at it and they're like, if that was you, do it again. On cue, you see the door close, open, and then it absolutely like slammed with like force and you heard it latch. So then Grant runs, Jason actually runs over and tries to open it. And again, there's pressure on the other side. When they were doing the reveal, they mentioned to their contact and they're like, actually, that's very common where people will have a door closed in front of them. They'll try to open it and then they can't. It just feels like someone's pulling it. That's really weird. So then, mm -hmm. so then later that night, the other team, Steve and Dave, also had a similar experience in the bakery. But this time around, it was the front door. They were talking and then all of a sudden they just hear a door shut and then the sign that was on it tap against the door. So they go and run over and then the one thing is that they had their wires within the door frame. So they're like, unless you pull the door, like it couldn't have been shut by the wind. And that's also something that they captured on camera. Um, so then just to go back to Jason and Grant's experience with the, uh, the doors, as they were looking at it, then Grant just kind of looks out at outside of the bakery and he saw a figure cross the, the window, but then the door that was open and the figure just disappeared before it crossed over in front of the wind, the door. Ew. <laughs> yes. So again, he runs out and it's like, they're in front, like there's. They're on the upper floor, I think, at that point, if I remember correctly. And there's, like, no one there. And there's nowhere for that person to, like, if it was someone for them to hide, they would have... Oh, Jesus, that scared the crap out of me. My <laughs> Lewis is, like, he's awake. He's fight. My heart. <laughs> no, it's just this giant boof. He, like, yeah, he, like, woke up and he's been, like, trying to get me to wrestle with him for the last, like, ten minutes. <laughs> So thanks for this. Oh. <laughs> he just like screams into the light. <laughs> oh, Lewis. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so with all of that, they uh, did say that it was one of the most incredible experiences investigation they've had. And Grant, who had some of like, the most, uh, I would say, intense experience experiences had said when he was recapping the episode he said on the tour we started hearing all these stories and i'm thinking oh man this is too good to be true but then when you're investigating and you see you know this could be possible i saw a figure through the window doors opening and closing and not just us but to everybody on our team and to finish off i decided to talk about what i experienced when i was there hmm. um, so I had, when I mentioned earlier, I went to the ghost store at night and I went with my mom. Um, the girl still, she, the main girl. <laughs> she uh, didn't really experience anything. She it was just like, eh, it was fine. And the whole time, like I was dying. Um, but the second I got there, like I mentioned before, um, I just walked in the fort, immediately huge headache, I had nausea. Uh, I just like, I felt like I needed to get out of there, but of course, like I paid money to be there, so I'm not going to run out and lose my money. <laughs> uh, so in the wine cellar, that's when I started. That's where the first thing I've experienced. The uh, guy was talking about how people hear banging on the in the walls, and at the same time, I was hearing banging. So I go, "Oh yeah," and the guy just looks at me, and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> Continues her story of how. There's like feet of stone in between the the um, the ceiling and like the the ceiling of the wine cellar and then the first floor. So she's like anyone walking, like there's no way for Sam to travel. So then she keeps staring at me, and I just like shut up because I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, yes, continue. Then we went into the tunnels and the reverse firing chambers, and 
for some stupid reason, I was at the back of the group. And that's where my mom also felt kind of weird. So they're talking about these experiences. And then, like, all of a sudden, I had this, like, this, I don't know how to explain it. But in my mind, I was like, I need to get out of here now because this place is going to collapse. And, like, I could, like, in my mind, just picture, like, an explosion. And, like, we needed to get out of there. And as we're, like, slowly making our way down the tunnel. And my mom is next to me. And she, like, looks at me. She's like, we need to get out. (laughs) And we're both panicking and we don't know why. And we're trying everything to restrain ourselves and not like push the couple in front of us. So we manage, we get out of the tunnel and then like everything is cool. So we're like, okay, weird, whatever. We're just paranoid. And then the, uh, basically we finished a tour in the bakery and all of a sudden I just got cold, but like freezing cold and then she's talking about this insect thingy. And, and in my mind, I'm like, don't look, don't look, just stare at her. Like, she needs to shut up. We need to get out of here. And then, like, I swear to anyone and everything, I felt a hand touch me on the cheek. And oh it just, God. I could feel the, like, four fingers and the thumb. And it just rested there. And I just, my heart stopped. I think I died. And then the girl was like, oh, the tour is over. And my mom looks at me. She's like, oh, she's like, it's really hot. And I'm like, I'm freezing. And she was right next to me. So she didn't feel that. It was the weirdest thing ever. I basically ran out of there. And then my mom, she's like, so that was fun. I'm like, I was assaulted by a spirit. (laughs) And she's like, oh, you know, like, it is what it is. A kind of like typical still be like, ah. You're fine. So chill. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, this guy could be falling and still would just be like, you know, let's make some coffee. Let's relax. <laughs> just, just a chill gal. Yeah. And that was the my story and the story of Fort Henry. Dang stuff. I know it. <laughs> Getting a little friendly with the ghost, huh? Hey. <laughs> At least it wasn't the insect. At least it had a full like hand of fingers. I think I would have died. Like I would have just, I would have been another ghost there. <laughs> just goodbye, world. <laughs> Step out. <laughs> um, okay. All right, so, Stephanie, are mm-hmm. you ready for a fun adventure? I'm ready. Terrified, okay. but ready. <laughs> okay. So, this week, I'm going to tell you about something called the Wendigo. And it's a First Nations uh, piece of folklore and oral tradition. So, I want to also acknowledge that while I'm speaking about it, we are recording this podcast on uh, the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishabeg people. Mm -hmm. So, I have... (laughs) kind of fun background i came into uh knowing about the wendigos while playing a video game called until dawn okay years ago like i would mm-hmm. uh invite myself over to tim and keitha's and i would like lie down on the couch <laughs> for days and uh force them to watch me play it like a human <laughs> leech uh i'm pretty sure my friend alex also played it I think my friend okay. Cam did too. But it's like you make different, like very quick choices, and it's like a choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout it, you get hunted by these uh, Wendigos, uh, which are oh, very nice. Fucking terrifying in the game. Uh, <laughs> and I say that as someone who like genuinely does not get that spooked. Um, okay. But in any case, uh, that kind of spurred me as something that I could bring to you and you might uh, enjoy. So thank mm-hmm. you to the Canadian Encyclopedia, uh, Wikipedia, allitsinteresting.com, Murderpedia, and The Guardian for the <laughs> very helpful in- like information that I'll be going through that kind of breaks down the Wendigos and just a kind of a bit of a story about okay. the Wendigos. So Excited. basically, uh, and this is taken directly from the Canadian Encyclopedia, which has a ton of like very cool resources, but a Wendigo, and they spell it with an I. So a Wendigo is a supernatural being belonging to the spiritual traditions of the Algonquin-speaking First Nations in North America. And they go on to say, and again, this is another direct quote, 
depending on the many First Nations that speak an Algonquin language, and this includes the Abenaki, Siksika, Mi'kmaq, Algonquin, Ojibwe, and Innu, the spelling and pronunciation of the word Wendigo, so W-I-N-D-I-G-O, went differs. So it can be Wendigo, the way I've been saying it, because that's the way I learned it. Weetigo, uh, Windicook, Winsigo, Witigo, and Wittiga, and they're all alternative versions of the same term. Uh, other names such as Achin, Chinu, and Kowak are also commonly used to refer to the Wendigo. Uh, I'll be calling it the Wendigo, just because that's what I do out of habit. Um, and its appearance really varies. And I think you will enjoy uh, closing your eyes and just imagining them with me in all of their uh, freaky glory. So in some folklore, the Wendigo is super gaunt. So it's got this like skin that's clinging to its like long and bony body with these like lanky, slender manny kind of limbs, and it has a skeletal appearance. And the skin also sometimes looks kind of mummified, so preserved, mm -hmm. so it's like got like an ashen tone. It looks like it's deteriorated a little. Um, and in other times, it's like the complete opposite. So it's this like bulky, ever-growing creature, and every time it feeds, it gets bigger and bigger and kind of like absorbs the power of its of its meals um in some stories uh it has horns or animal ears so it has kind of like an animal taken on appearance and sometimes like an elongated predatory face uh oftentimes it has like ghoulish sunken or glowing eyes so like very malevolent kind of demonic yeah, like spirit. yeah i didn't think you would just like not a fan you know next time you're sleeping you're like and you like look up the window <laughs> and it's just looking at you. Uh, Especially on the second floor. <laughs> uh, of course, because it's uh, it's a hunter, it has these like sharp predatory teeth. It's like fangs. And uh, my favorite feature is, is it's frequently described as having like a bad breath and BO. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so the poor Wendigo just doesn't have good oral or uh, physical hygiene. It seems. Can you imagine it being like something that terrifying and people are like, oh yeah, it stinks. Yeah, Stinky Minky over here is here to <laughs> eat you. <laughs> oh no. Can you imagine? Like, That's so sad. <laughs> I know, like, get, get the poor guy some floss. I know. He's trying to do some murder here. <laughs> Honest to God. Uh, so, these Stinky Boys, they have these like really great you go camping with someone and in the middle of the night they're like man i have to go to the washroom so they go to their tent they go off and then you hear stephanie uh can you come give me a hand i'm just outside the tent and you get out of the tent and they're not there and then you hear a scratching coming from behind you and you turn around and it's a wendigo like they're such creepy predators so I'm just going to warn everyone listening this. Do not call my name if you want help. I'm not helping anyone anymore. So <laughs> I was like, it. hey, Steph. I'm like, no. <laughs> you deal with your own problem. I'm not yeah. dealing. No. <laughs> no. In the, the great words of Bianca Del Rio, uh, not today, Satan. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, and of course, uh, they are super strong in most uh, descriptions. And what's also delightful is they kind of have this ability to induce psychosis oh my god so they have this way of like insidiously disrupting like the socialization within like a group of people and they can make you like go into a psychotic state um some things that are also really like make them dangerous in folklore is that they are overcome with the urge to kill and eat their victims. So, like, you are not going to be able to, like, negotiate your way out of something with a Wendigo. Like, it is there to eat you, to kill you, and to, like, fuck up your life. <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty much it. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Uh, and they're also, like, like I said, like, they're able to insert, like, evil into people and communities by their presence and influence. Um, oh 
And of course, like many other oral traditions and lore, there's actually an important purpose to this legend. So when you think about the Algonquin-speaking people, many of these people and tribes live in like the northern boreal forests, which if you are Canadian, uh, you're probably very familiar with. Because <laughs> um, they make up a ton of our topography. And they are a beautiful but often harsh climate. So if you're living as an Indigenous First Nations person within the, a boreal forest or another potentially harsh climate, your social structures, your traditions, like your way of life has to be like very communal and community minded to sustain your like your, the survival of your people, particularly back in like the centuries and centuries and centuries ago when this lore and this would have come like this would have come to be like mm -hmm. the legend of Wendigo. Um, mm -hmm. So selfishness, like if you were someone who wasn't part of that communal minded group, like that selfishness has like a really significant impact on the survivability of your people. So the Wendigo lore ends up kind of being a cautionary tale about the impact of greed and selfish behavior and isolation and how important community is in like the different Wendigo stories. So there's a couple of like typical ways these Wendigo stories start. So they'll start off often with like either a person on their own or a small group of people like trapped somewhere without enough supplies, like enough food, enough water. And the Wendigo will infiltrate the group of people and kill one off while they're solo. And then we'll like, mimic them long enough to like completely disrupt and lead to the death of the other people in that group or we'll kind of like pick them off one by one like in a horror Ugh. movie yeah like <laughs> so the other way that wendigo stories will often start is that wendigos are sometimes humans turn into a monster <gasps> yeah so they'll typically turn as the result of some sort of like greed or like human weakness or moral weakness and you're not gonna like this but oftentimes they turn due to cannibalism <laughs> so think of it this way like two people two hikers are stranded somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains uh, and they get stuck in a cave and time passes and time passes and desperation sets in, right? Like, mm -hmm. desperation can make humans do, like, very animal things. And one person kills and consumes the flesh of the other person. That That's person so could then turn into a Wendigo. <sighs> yeah. Not great. <laughs> no. Yeah. So. Uh, you don't go hiking. Yeah, just stay home. <laughs> yeah, just stay home. it's safe. Ish. So you can see we're like in that kind of a setup. It's like it's their lack of cooperation that leads to that Wendigo transition. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the point of that's in terms of my research, and I could be wrong, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Um that was like kind of the basis of the Wendigo lore. Mm -hmm. So there was also something that came out of the Wendigo legend uh that was kind of like a Western term. And it's a very controversial term and it's called Wendigo psychosis. So Wendigo psychosis was a term that like colonial and Western anthropologists would have used to describe someone who was displaying those Wendigo traits. So that uh, impulse to perform an act of cannibalism or having grand delusions. And I'm going to tell you about uh, a man named Swift Runner, aka Kasikuchin, uh, who lived during the 1800s. Okay. So it's the late 1800s, uh, specifically the year 1878. We are in what is now uh, kind of, I believe it was central Alberta. Uh, and Swift Runner was a member of the Cree peoples. So this was a particularly harsh winter and many Cree First Nations people suffered starvation during these like long and harsh months. 
So it is said that Swift Runner was consumed by this quote unquote Wendigo psychosis. Uh, and again, that's a very disputed term. What we do know, however, is that his family was starving and desperate. And unfortunately, uh, his son died uh, reportedly of natural causes. As the winter proceeded, unfortunately, Swift Runner went on to murder and eat his wife and his other five children. Oh my God. So according to records, they were 25 miles from the nearest outpost, which that, so that has like their location has been used to argue that these murders and then the subsequent cannibalism was caused by this Wendigo psychosis and not desperation. But I like I personally find that a bit like I don't know if that's true or not. Like it kind of depends on what access to like means of travel they would have mm-hmm. had at the time. And it also would have depended on like the actual climate back then. Because like, I mean, if you look at something like the Donner Party, like they weren't that far from their last like from their destination when everything went sour, it was just like they couldn't access there because of the climate. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, like, I don't think anyone can say for sure if what he did was because he experienced like some sort of psychosis. Uh, and again, like I might, I could be using the wrong term there or like if he suffered some sort of like, you know, mental illness. And it's probably like, easier to explain off, be like, oh, like something weird happened instead of like, these are the logical reasons. Like it's, yeah exactly it's probably easier to swallow that story to say like oh yeah like some like you know i don't know how to explain it but i don't know like they they say that that was like a clear reason it wasn't an act of desperation uh but i don't know like depending on the climate and like the travel and like what you have access to like 25 miles can be as much as twenty five thousand miles in terms of it's like mm-hmm. feasibility right mm-hmm. the other thing is that like because of the time and date and the fact that this is happening on like colonial records, like there's going to be clearly like a bias in what we're looking at. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously that doesn't excuse him from murdering and eating his family because that's yeah inexcusable. Not good. No, like, he, like there's there's no justification for eating someone. <laughs> um, so he does that, and according to the records, Fort Saskatchewan's authorities started to kind of hear rumors among uh the community that he had done this but when they sent people to investigate like they couldn't find anybody in may 1879 he actually approached authorities and was like yep uh i killed and ate my family Hmm. so he was obviously arrested and apprehended and actually like this like you to like give you kind of insight into his mental state and to like what he had lived through he actually offered uh to perform his own execution to oh save them God. the trouble yeah he offered to use it to do it using a tomahawk which is oh okay wow yeah incredible um mm-hmm. And understandably, like, the night before his execution, he was offered access to a priest, and he said, he basically was like, no, like, like, you white people have done enough to me, like, I, like, that's not going to save my soul. And then he was executed. Hmm. So, I like the story. It's intense. It's very sad. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. So, in 2019... Uh, there was a reported Wendigo encounter. No! (laughs) In Ontario. No! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's go camping. Um, No. So, Gino Mikas, a hunter from Sioux Lookout, which is in northwestern Ontario, recorded some, like, really bizarre screams and shrieks and howls while out hunting, and I'm going to send this video to Steph and make her FaceTiming (gasps) while she watches it. So, Background, Mikas is reportedly an extremely experienced hunter. So it is a culture that he has grown up in. It's one that he has shared with his family. And he is super familiar with the wildlife in the area. So like if he would like he's someone who would know like different animal calls. Yeah. Yeah, like he would recognize it. So he and his grandson were out hunting one day 
and like the like I listened to the recording, like these are like some crazy sounds. And again, like I like I want to hear it, but I don't. You're gonna. I want to sleep tonight. It's fine. <laughs> you have Milo. Oh um, yeah. So what's interesting? I found like kind of neat is that it's speculated that the recording could actually be one of two cryptids. So a cryptid is kind of like a mythical creature for those of you who aren't familiar with the term. So it could either be a Sasquatch or a Wendigo. However, uh, the Ontario Ministry of Resources is a bit sus. (laughs) They're like, "Mm, (laughs) let's have some perspective. They are pretty sus on it being an unidentified species, which is how they would describe a cryptid. Um, And they said that it's pretty pretty likely that it's a larger mammal but uh because it's so far from the recording it's just hard to to say what it is mm-hmm. so stuff that's wendigos mm-hmm. so i thought it was like very interesting how the wendigo legend like fit in so much to the murders committed by swift runner mm-hmm. like his isolation from his community like and is the isolation of his family and his like selfish act was exactly what that kind of legend was trying to stop. Cause like, and, like look I how like how, ended. yeah. And I like how it's not just like, there's a monster. It's like, there's a reason for it. It's about like selfishness and how you need to like, there's a reason why the folklore was created. You know? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's such an important part of our oral traditions. Hmm. I did not like that one bit. Yeah, I didn't. Th- I didn't think you would. <laughs> it was very, very interesting. But no, thank you. You all get still to like just like tap on your like door at night. Like, oh Stephanie, Steph. You know who would do it? My dad. Yeah, your dad totally would. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. To be okay. like, oh, let's make her Cooper pants today. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fun guy. Okay. Yes. Good old Rick. Oh, that was that was good. Yeah. I like it. Well, good. I don't, but you know. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad to be part of what's going to keep you up at night this week. Yeah. I need to like stock up on some like chamomile tea or something. <laughs> knock me out. <laughs> Just sage it out. Oh, yes. <sighs> Well, guys, thank you for vibing with us today. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, again, like I said, thank you. We uh, would obviously want to keep going with this project and your uh, encouragement. That would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, if you can follow the podcast wherever you're listening, download the episodes, that would be amazing. Uh even if you if you would like to leave us a review, that would be nice. Preferably a nice one. Like if you're I mean, you, yeah, you if can do what you want to do. <laughs> if you leave a mean one, Stephanie will cry. Oh, 100%. So don't do that. I'll talk that. to Emma about it for like two weeks. I'll be like, Emma. <laughs> so be um, <laughs> People are being mean. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so follow us on, also if you want to hear more about the podcast, get news on when episodes are released, uh, also maybe get a more behind the scenes stuff and cool content. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at Creepy Vibes Only Podcast. And if you want to send us, uh, an email or request for possibly the sources that we've used and any kind of information, you can contact us at cvopodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and if you have any story suggestions or something you'd like to hear about, oh, please let us know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've got ideas, but I mean, we like more. We're here for you. And we want your input. Yeah. yeah. You are part of this with us. Yeah. Well, guys, it's your two new best friends signing off until next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hello, my name is Emma. And this is my story. Thank you. Bye-bye.